we went and showed up at the auction and there was like two or three people at that auction and like we would see a bunch of houses sell and there were these two or three guys that were bidding on it and i said hey how does this work they wouldn't even talk to me not like not look me in the eye nothing yeah and they just kept yeah. buying houses the three they would all talk to each other the even the auctioneer wouldn't talk to us we're like hey how does this work he's not going to talk yeah. to us i go start reading loan documents to try to figure out like how this process works because we're just starting to like learn by watching it um i start reading some loan documents we figure out how sales going to happen uh as we fast forward a week and a half later we're like hey we're gonna try to go bid at an auction we show up and the opening bid comes out for a house he announces the address he goes going once going twice these other guys aren't bidding on it we raise our hand a guy named glenn goes hey we want to bid and he looked at us and he goes um okay a, a penny over and we go <laughs> yeah penny over and he goes and you have to hold up your checks and he goes going once going twice sold and he grabs the checks from us and the three other bidders go <gasps> So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, Shelby Johnson in the house, back for more of Aaron and Mugastagi's roller coaster ride through life. Let's go. What did you say at the mastermind? You said it was like on day one. Did you have the thing to make it worth it? What did, yeah. So what did are you, you in bonus time, right? Like it was saying, we're, like, in, we're in bonus time. We're in bonus <laughs> time. Yeah. At the mastermind, I tell everybody, hey, you paid for your ticket. So I want you, I want, I want you guys to tell me when you've hit that moment where it's worth it. And the, yeah, and we really hope that people are like, okay, now it's now it's worth it's worth listening to the podcast. You know, some of the magical stuff that like God ended up just putting in my life in that journey. Um, you know, so by the time I'm like getting ready to leave prison, I've now done a couple years in school. I'm trying to research what I'm gonna do next. And I'm like, all right, so I have this real estate background. I was studying architecture. I don't really like to do that anymore. I really like this business development stuff. Um, and I start researching and there's this uh, degree called construction management. I'm like, okay, I want to get a construction management degree. And I start looking at the schools that have it. And it was like, oh, there was like four or five different schools in California. And the one that was the best was uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And I see like, hey, that one's on the ocean. I'm like looking at stuff on maps. Um, who had no internet access back like in there, even though internet existed, obviously. The, yeah. like, we weren't allowed to have any of that. So we're like looking, I'm like looking through books about construction management and then looking on, on the map going, hey, that's a pretty... Uh, cool place. I think I want to do that. I remember going back and telling my buddy Darren, who was was my roommate at the time, hey, I think I want to say this. And I think I want to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And he goes, you'll never believe this. My aunt Wanda works admissions at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. What? And I'm like, You're, are you kidding? Really? He goes, no, yeah. she works there. Like, So I've got like four or five months left to where I'm supposed to leave. And, the, and he reaches out to her. And um, the oh day God. I get out of prison, I get like on my way home, I get to stop and meet with the head of the construction management department and the admissions department uh, on my way back to Oregon. I was going to have to go back for a few months of like probation and parole and some other stuff. And I hadn't gotten accepted yeah. to any school yet, but like the day I got out getting to go like meet with them and talk to them about like, what do they do and my future uh, and things like that to fast forward, yeah. like to jump through some, some next hoops. Right. So I'm off to the races now at this point. I'm like, I've lost a lot of my life. 
I need to make up for lost time. I'm a really, really hard worker right now. I go back for the summer. I'm still taking college classes. My mission was to get accepted to the school. I got accepted uh, to go to, to school down there at Cal Poly. Okay. How old are you and what year? So the, the 2003 at that point, like I'm 23. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And I, and I, so I, I jumped down to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. The, now, by the time 2005 happens, I'm about ready to graduate. There's this nationwide competition um, that they do where schools compete against each other in the home building industry. Well, I won it uh, my junior and senior year at Cal Poly. I, so my team won be, uh, best in the nation two years in a row. It had never happened before where one person had, won, had been on the same, had been on the team twice uh, when they won. And that Badass. was in 2005, which was also the height of the housing boom. So like it couldn't yeah, be a better time timing. to be the best oh in the world God. at uh, home building as far as new students. It helped that I was older, right? So now I'm graduating in 2005. I'm 25 years old. Because I had lost a couple of years of my life, I took school a little bit more serious than the other people that were in there. And I was paying right. for it myself. So every time I walked into class, I was saying, I need to earn. So the, the funny, this maybe this is where bonus time comes from. I was like, I'm paying $500 a class pretty much. And so the $500 every time I stepped into a classroom because of how expensive the out-of-state tuition was. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I would always say like, what am I going to learn today that's worth the 500 bucks? And in the construction mm -hmm. management classes, there was a lot of times like through estimating processes or something else. I'm like, oh, that's what I learned today. That was the thing that was worth the money uh, for me to get through. So I graduated in 2005, all sorts of getting all sorts of uh, recruit, recruitment from big home builders saying, hey, Aaron, they're, they're taking me out to dinner. Come work for us. This is what you got to do. I ended up choosing a home builder that I'd done a couple internships with in the Santa Barbara area. And the reason I, I chose to work with them, it was a small privately owned builder. There was like six or seven executives, um, but they were in California, Nevada, and Arizona. And I saw this as an opportunity to get near the top of a company. Right. If I was going to yeah. join Pulte, I was never going to be in the corporate office. But if I joined something like this, I had a chance of starting out higher up and getting more opportunity. Up. So right out of school, I ended up being the director of operations of the Southern California spot. Um, the guy that I had interned under, uh, who's a great friend today, he was moving out to open up Arizona. So now it's like 2006. We're golfing a few days a week. The housing market is awesome. It's taking us 60 days to build houses. They're all pre-sold. So it's like, okay, Dude. on Tuesday, it's going to be finished. <laughs> on Wednesday, we're selling it. We're doing the walkthrough with the homeowner. And it was like, life was grand. It was the worst expectation of what life was supposed to be like, Shelby. I was like, I got my job. I got my degree. I got my job. Life is easy. I'm golfing all the I time. I made now. it. I made it. Absolutely. Like I knew that my life plan from then on was like, okay, and in a couple of years, I'll be an executive and then we're going to be nationwide and, right. and I'm going to be swimming in money and golfing most of the time. Yeah. Always only up, right? Only up was all I thought <laughs> at that moment. The man yeah. that changed quick, like 2007 market started to slow down. And now in central California, we didn't see it as much as some other places. So we were hearing about it on the news and we were researching it. But like, you know, mid 08 was when um, we got, a, I got a call that was like, Hey, we're laying off everybody. We're shutting down Arizona. We're shutting down Southern California. Uh, we need you to come. If you, essentially it was like, if you would like to keep your job, um, we need you to move to Sacramento next week. And, it, and if you can't, that's okay. It was like, they liked me and I was like, I was good at what I did. And I was probably also like lower paid because I was newer on the list. And um Again, all great friends of mine that have, that have changed my life. But at that time, we went from like 70 people to five. And it was like the three owners and their, and their cousin and me. And so we went up to – then we spent the next couple of years doing all of these bank workouts where we were – instead of me golfing a couple of days a week, I had the bags back on. I was doing manual labor in the houses. We were like cleaning them. We were detailing them. We were working with the banks to figure out 
how to help get themselves out of essentially get them out of this jam because for reference and you guys will hear in my like when i talk a lot of the times on the podcast in 2007 a house in like atwater was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in our model homes and in 2009 that the short sales and REOs were going for $250,000 in the neighborhood. So we had to talk the banks that we had like $600,000 in debt on the houses to say, Hey, we're still your best chance of maximizing value. Like we don't know what you're going to max out at because the market has just tanked. But if you let us do the workout, we will, we know we'll get you more than any, any other way. Right. If you, if you let us finish it, maybe you'll get 270 per house instead of 250. Um, but yeah. we're only going to stay and finish it if you don't end up going after the owner's personal guarantees, kind of stuff like that. In gen generally speaking, that's how we did that. Kept trying to find these different businesses during that time. That was like this wild time. You know, near the end of yeah. 2009, we had pretty much worked that out. We had talked like some hotels into letting us bid jobs for them, like doing commercial work because we had all these you know residential framers that were out of business and maybe they could do the other stuff. And, um, that's when we discovered kind of foreclosures and, and courthouse step stuff. Well, I think it's so cool that, um, and it goes all the way back to like your childhood of nothing is beneath you when you said that, because you were living this life where you were on a high every day, not drugs, just like really on a high with the business was crushing it. You're 26, you're making a shit ton of money, you're golfing. And then before you knew it, you're back to, you know, roughing it. Yeah. You're, in there in the weeds you're building you're using your hands and not golfing every day yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just crazy and it's really cool too like the wealth of experiences that you've had because of the drastic change you know over time you started out with one position and and saw all the way down to creatively how do we make it work with banks where do we you know find opportunity with hotels and so I just think all oh, that's really cool but we're in 2009 yeah. so you're 29 Dude, and all those things <laughs> happened for me Shelby because all the all the like the really amazing stuff that happens next and in this and in the in the di different chapters of life were all sorts of those experiences, right? Like if I hadn't worked construction for my dad, I wouldn't have known how to like help finish the, the houses when we needed to do them later. Yeah. Right. Like if I hadn't and I hadn't seen the different processes at that time too. I've got one kid. My wife is pregnant again. Um, my pay had gotten cut down to like half or less. So now my wife started working nights at the casino as a waitress. So I would get home at like six o'clock. She would hand me our, you know, one-year-old baby at the time and the, and then she would go be a waitress and then she would come home at like two or three in the morning. I would wake up the, uh, the baby would wake up. Let's say, all right, Maddie's awake. I'm going to just, just, I'm going to work. And so we would see each other like a couple days a week, really other than the quick handoffs and the, and it was a, it was a pretty crazy, crazy time. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry, this one is only gonna run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year we were gonna do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country and that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody and the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week and in the, during the pre-sales, we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you wanna join us for the Mastermind for next year. We're putting the date so far out there, you've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the Mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, 
Now's the time. And it's for it's for March for next year. But you got to go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling. I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out, you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls, where we do tactics on those calls. They're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind, realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind. Go lock in your ticket. We have less than 10 spots left. You can break it up into four payments. So that way it is much easier to to be sure to join. And I promise you, it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing. You know, the GoBundance masterminds that I talk about that I'm a part of cost five times what we do for this. And I try to deliver twice as much value. All right, back to the podcast. And that's crazy too, because now when, when people meet you, if they don't know the depth of your story and all the ups and downs that you've had, they, you know, people just discount the years and years of work and struggle that happened before what they see in that present moment. So I think that's, again, really cool and probably really inspiring for people to hear who may be going through similar situations that between 20, you know, 2009 and where we are today, I know we got another couple hurdles yeah. to go through, but it's just so cool to see and listen to. Yeah. So. Thank you. I mean, I, so I went, the first time going to zero was I'm like 2021 going to prison for a couple of years. That was like all the hope going to nothing. Next time was like 2007 going from high pay and on my way to all of a sudden not. And my wife's working at the casino and we're having debt every month trying to do these workouts. And it was going from a lot of hopes, like that reset. We started trying to figure out what were our applicable skills. I tried to start like a drafting company that was like for AutoCAD drafting to like help people, you know, bid out different projects. And then that didn't work. We tried to resource and find, you know, the essentially residential workers and have them go try to work on commercial projects. And that worked for a little while. And then we saw like at that time, there was a bunch of foreclosures and REOs. There'd be a for sale sign. You'd go look at it and there'd be spray paint on the inside and all these busted out walls. And you're like, man, I want to buy this and fix it and sell it. Um, and the, so we're like, all right, we want to get into this. This is something we can be good at. We started writing offers on bank owned REOs. Well, we could never get one accepted. And it took us a while to figure out why, but at first we'd make an offer and they'd say, oh, sorry, we accepted an offer yesterday. And then we would make an offer faster and they go, oh, sorry, we accept, we already accepted an offer. And then we started figuring out a way to like write offers within minutes of them coming on MLS. They would come on MLS. We would get the notification. We would underwrite it really quick. We would make an offer based on those pictures. And then we had somebody go, sorry, we've already accepted an offer. And we were like, wait a second. We offered a cash offer <laughs> over asking within minutes yeah. of it coming on the market. And you told us you've already accepted another offer. And it was a bank owned. So at that point, like the bank was as the seller, right? Like was thinking like that agent had a fiduciary responsibility to get them the best offer possible. And it wasn't like an investor accepting it right away. It was a bank. So we were like, what is really, right. really going on here? Fast forward, what we learned later was essentially the REO agents just had their favorite guys that they would sell the deals to. And they, so they would list in pen right. immediately. They would, yeah. <laughs> and they would like to sell it to them. So that way they yeah. could relist it on the backside. So they essentially, they wouldn't have to do any work to get their 3% commission at the beginning. Their, their, yeah. their friends would buy it, hire them to resell it later. And so it worked out. So poor me, we didn't get into that business. The, some people did, and they made a lot of money doing it. Luckily, we kept looking, and we discovered this courthouse step foreclosure 
process that essentially nobody nobody was doing when we went there and we first saw it. And, and so what happens is before something becomes a bank owned REO. still in Sacramento. Yeah, this is Sacramento. Sorry, still in Sacramento, 2010? This is still 2009. So like mid-2009 okay. mid in Sacramento, oh. foreclosure crisis like crazy. Before a bank owned REO happens, there's actually an auction that happens on the courthouse step. Nobody teaches you how to do that. Nobody tells you how to do it. The software had just come out called Foreclosure Radar. A uh, buddy of mine, Sean O'Toole, uh, built the software. He saw it like before anybody else. And he was taking the foreclosure postings at the courthouse and like putting them into a sheet. So we could see, hey, here's an address that's actually going to sale tomorrow. We went and showed up at the auction. And there was like two or three people at that auction. And like we would see a bunch of houses sell. And there were these two or three guys that were bidding on it. And I said, hey, how does this work? They wouldn't even talk to me, not like not look me in the eye, nothing. Yeah. And they just kept yeah. buying houses. The three, they would all talk to each other. The, uh, even the auctioneer wouldn't talk to us. We're like, hey, how does this work? He's not going to talk yeah. to us. I go start reading loan documents to try to figure out like how this process works because we're just starting to like learn by watching it. I start reading some loan documents. We figure out how sales going to happen. Uh, as we fast forward a week and a half later, we're like, hey, we're going to try to go bid at an auction. We show up. And the opening bid comes out for a house. He announces the address. He goes going once, going twice. These other guys aren't bidding on it. We raise our hand. A guy named Glenn goes, hey, we want to bid. And he looked at us and he goes, um, okay, a, a penny over? And we go, <laughs> yeah, penny over. And he goes, and you have to hold up your checks. And he goes, going once, going twice, sold. And he grabs the checks from us. And the three yeah. other bidders go, <gasps> they like gasp. Oh, no. <laughs> they like gasp and start laughing and walk off. And we're like, Oh wow. my God, what just happened? What did you do? Yeah. Because like, what did oh we God. do wrong? Cause foreclosures are like this. Cause there's also like all these titles, everything that bad that people have heard about foreclosures are all, it's also true. Yeah. You can mitigate all that stuff. And we're telling the auctioneer like, Hey, this doesn't have an address on it. And we're like, and he's like, well, we don't put addresses on it. We put like the note number and the loan number. Cause we're not guaranteeing any address or anything else. Like you're buying a loan. He said, and we like, what does that mean? Cause you're buying a loan position. So we're like, what did we do? He takes the checks. He rides off on his skateboard, board, Eddie. The, uh, he had his laptop set up on a, on a trash can while he does the sale, signs this yellow receipt, no address on it, um, just has like, you know, what he took of ours and the loan number, um, rides off on his skateboard with our 100-ish thousand, 150,000, whatever the price was. Um, yeah. And he's like, I'm out of here. We're terrified for the next two weeks. Did we just lose everything that we had? Um, and at that time, it wasn't my money. It was the guys that I was working for's money. Um, two weeks later, a deed comes in the mail. We go get it recorded at the, you know, at the trust at the recorder's office. We get a title report on it. It says we own the house free and clear. Boom. Step number one, we finished it. We fixed it. We own this house now. Now we go meet with the, the people that live there. We pay them a cash for keys. We fix it. We sell it. We get multiple offers. It sells right away. And the market that was happening then is sent, yeah, amazing, right? Like, <laughs> yay! yay, it was, it was such a triumphant moment, Shelby. Oh it was like, we'd been trying for a good 18 months now to try to like fix something in our business, find something that worked. Yeah. And we were like, oh my gosh. And foreclosures like that were really the only game in town. Cause there was a whole bunch of short sales that were listed at like 400,000 that the bank wouldn't accept any of the offers. They were bank-owned REOs, but they were only going to very specific agents. They were getting all of them. The only game in town that anybody could buy were our flips. And there, at that time, there was four flippers now. And we took the home building knowledge that we had, and we were the first to do it at scale oh um, to be able to say, hey, we can ramp this up. We know how to run big sales teams and, and warranty programs. The first house made like I, 75 grand, and we're like, oh, my God, we've, de we've developed a new business.
Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Erdem Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. We use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown like real geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Bub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used LineDesk. I've used Conversion. And I think follow-up also gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple. And it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like follow-up box better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list-based, that's fine. If I want to go task-based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems, and it's very user-friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with follow-up boss. Purely objective. Follow-up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out. Especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Okay, I have to say something real quick. Dude, okay, from that, I think it's super cool, and I don't want to breeze over the fact that, first of all, you said 18 months to find something that worked yeah. where you were just trying things, not working, trying things, not working. So that's the thing that I feel like a lot of agents and people in real estate in general just don't understand when you're starting out is the length of time that sometimes it takes to really find something that does work. And the mental, like, but that whole time, I bet you were going through mental loops of like, should I keep doing this? Like, is this going to work? Do you know, just questioning and doubt and pursuing through that over 18 months is amazing. And then the other thing real quick is that you said that they wouldn't tell you how to do it, you know, at, when you're trying to do these foreclosures, yeah. the auctions, and you had to go figure it out by like reading loan documents. And, and that's something crazy too, where it's like the, if you just put forth effort, I mean, a lot of effort to try to figure it out, you're going to leave everyone else behind because no one else is going to care that much or try that hard or pursue that deeply to find the solution. So I think those two things are really fucking cool. Yeah. You know, there's to to add on to that, there's a couple little quick thoughts. Like people will say, why didn't the other guys bid on it? Well, because they thought it was a second position loan. Now, the funny thing was there were two loans, they were recorded in the wrong order. So when you actually read the loan docs, which I actually read the loan docs on it, it specifically said in the document, 
this loan is subordinate to this other one, right? So the only reason that I knew it was a first is I had read 90 pages of loan docs, right? And the other guys were like, that's a second. We don't want it. Or they would have bid it up right. to make sure that we didn't get it. So we had tried for like, so people, when they saw me, you know, a year later doing all the stuff, living the way that we were living, the yes, they don't think about how hard that was. When they when people see how my wife gets to live and the kids and all the stuff that we spend money on and, and the expenses, they don't know that, you know, that she was, you know, pregnant as a waitress at a casino, getting smoke blown yeah. on her, well, you know, like while we were really trying to make it, the, for when we first started bidding at auctions, she was bidding at auctions at one of them while I was at another one with our baby on her. She would have uh, Maddie in a stroller and Charlotte like in her chest while she was at auction some of the time bidding at, at, or driving houses and stuff together. People see what's now. They don't see the battle. Exactly. 18 months of trials. We were battling through for that. Something magical happened for us that first moment of auction though, because like, so we tried a whole bunch of businesses. We went, made a really big bet on that one house at auction and we got it. The next three or four weeks we went to auction and the same way, like, oh, this house is scheduled and none of the houses that were on our list actually got sold. So we realized like, Oh my gosh, this is like actually a really hard business. We had to learn this new strategy and realize like, Hey, the fact that we got the first one was like God wanting this to be my path. Um, because what happened over the next few weeks is nothing happened. What really has to happen is you have to target 50 houses to be able to buy one. We learned that system. We built out that system. We started doing it at a really, really heavy scale. September, 2009, uh, my second daughter was born uh, early, six weeks early. And she was on like oxygen and like a bubbler machine. And I remember thinking, you know, that was because my wife was working nights at a casino while pregnant that her, you know, her water broke way too early. And I was staring at my little baby girl, uh, Charlotte on that ventilator going like, oh my God, I've let my whole family down. Like the, so we had just discovered this new business and I'd done a couple of them and it was like, I've let my family down. Like my wife is, ha was having to do all this. Now it's my baby. Is she going to live? Are her lungs going to be normal? Is this going to affect her for the rest of her life or not? And that was the moment that I went and, um, while I was on leave, uh, you know, for, for that baby for the next two weeks, I ended up buying a house at auction. My dad invested in a house with me because my dad's business had also crashed. He had nothing else working because he was a custom home builder. And in 2009, no one was doing that. He had a couple hundred thousand in savings. That was it. My dad sent me all of his savings in a cashier's check. I said, Hey, I've got this new business plan. I think we can do it. You don't have to pay me any profit at all. Let me just build out the process and we'll do this and see if it works. Like trust in me. And my dad was like, okay, I'm going to trust in you. We buy our first house uh, at auction, you know, and, and like the way that systems work is so like I bought the house for $225,000. The guy next to me also had $225,000 in checks and was bidding against me. If he would have said 225,000 before it started at like 200,000, it was like 201, 202, 203, 204. We get near the end of 223. I jump all the way to 225. Luckily I did that first because if he would have gone to 225, I was out of checks. If I went to 225 first, he was out of checks. So I get the house because he didn't have it because he didn't, Say it first. My dad's first house is a is a success. I quit my job and I tell yes. I tell um, the guys like, hey, you know, we've worked out a lot through the past few years. Thanks for keeping me around while you did. You guys are going to be fine. I've also stayed around. You guys are going to be fine now without me. And so now's a good time for me to leave and go start my own thing. My dad told his buddy about that first house that we did, and that buddy told like his money manager, hey, I want to pull some money out to go uh, invest yeah. in this thing. His money manager called me. And said, um, hey, Aaron, I hear that you're doing this, this, and this. I run an office out of Lake Tahoe. I'd like to meet you. I go up to meet with those guys. And at that time, I'm trying to borrow like $300,000. So I, so they start grilling me. There's a, like a whiteboard behind me. How's this process work? Yeah. What are you doing? 
I start. And you're like 29. Yep, I'm 20. I'm 29. Okay. I'm dressed in like <laughs> jeans and like a golf shirt and the uh, and thinking still. And so the cool thing about that too is like a lot of the, a lot of our listeners are younger than that, right? And so just know, at 28, I had zero. I had nothing, and it was and I had already like made a few mistakes along the way and had some resets. 29, I'm presenting to them. I have this brand new idea that is super new because now there was five or six people doing it in Sacramento, but nobody was doing it at scale yet. Everybody was still like buying a house, going and asking people for investments. And as, as they were, so I start presenting to these guys, they're grilling me on a bunch of questions. About three or four hours in, I have this feeling over me. I'm like, oh, Aaron, this is your moment. Like, this is that. You've been waiting for your break. This is your moment. And yeah. so I get chills again. The, um, that's why this is so fun right now. So I start telling them Love everything. It. And the, so at the end they go, okay, um, how much money are you looking for? And I said, well, I'd really like a loan of like two or $300,000. And they started kind of laughing and chuckling. And they're like, well, if that's what you want to do, we're not the guys for you. We're guys that like to scale. We want to, we want to build something really, really big. But if you'd be interested in building something really, really big, we'd like to talk about that. And Arnold, who um, was my dad's friend, Arnold's still alive today. He's the guy that I call and ask about advice for what happened in the 80s and things like that. Um, at that point, he he told everybody, you know, I'm going to invest as a partner with Aaron's dad until, you, you know, if you guys do this or not, I'm in. And I'm going to, anything that his dad gets in, I'm going to split so Aaron can at least do twice as many as he was doing. Um, and there was a guy there that used to be the, the, he was the vice president of Apple Asia. You know, there was home builders. There was like six or seven guys sitting around. that were pretty high net worth guys. And then one goes, well, I'm in for a million. Another guy goes, I'm in for a million. I'm in for a million. And all of a sudden I'm driving home at 29 <laughs> with two babies at home. And the, and it was like, oh my gosh, like, can I take everything I've learned up into this point, the construction yeah. stuff from my dad, the, how to do hard work, the systems I've learned as a home builder, and now to do something unique. So I was the first person in Northern California at auction to actually scale on a fund basis where we had a fund that was based on annual returns instead of individual, which gave us mm -hmm. the ability to buy all, to buy more houses than anybody else. Uh, because we were the first people that, because everybody else was looking at, Hey, you had to make like 10, 10% a house, 15% a house. We were looking at, yeah. you know, 15 to 20% annual was our goal. Annually. And I was yeah. doing stuff so fast. Like it was essentially a 90 day turn on the money that we knew if we made 5% on it, I was going to make money. They were going to make money. For the next three years, like to just really quickly summarize that, like that chapter, oh we did over a thousand houses of flips. We delivered millions and millions of dollars uh, to investors. They were making like 20 to 30% annual returns on their money. Uh, my wife became my broker. She was the broker that listed all of the houses. So the, um, I would buy them, I would fix them. She was the broker. Um, and man, it was really, really incredible times. She instantly became one of the biggest brokers in, in Northern California. And we did it. We followed our same home building systems where it was like in home building, you buy land, you develop it, you have a sales team, you have a warranty process. We did the foreclosures the same exact way, except for instead of buying land, we were buying houses, but then we had the construction team. We had the sales team. We would even offer a warranty. So at that time, when people knew they were buying a foreclosure flip, getting a warranty out of it, where they could call us in six months and say, Hey, these the span is out. Can you come fix it? We would just do that for free because we had so many people working around. I took everything I knew in home building and applied it uh, to that business. So like come 2012, 2013, you know, we had a bunch, my wife and I had made a bunch of money. We had gotten. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Oh my God. If I went into a, a meeting asking, you know, 
way older than me, life experience, all that stuff for like $300,000 and left with millions of dollars. I feel like I'd be freaking out at that point. How like, were you freaking out or were you like, let's fucking go? It was interesting because <laughs> part of me was like, so part of me was like, should we accept it or not? Should we accept it? Because yeah. obviously like I've been working responsibility, right? There's so much possibility, but I had also been working so much that my wife was being a waitress. Like, so I knew we needed mm -hmm. to make more money to survive, but like how much more plus obviously the excitement of like, this is my moment. Cause I had known for my whole life, like I want to make some big business. I'm going to build something big. And I had all these times where like I was doing it the wrong way or it didn't happen. And I thought this was my moment. And then it went to zero. And so it was, that was a really special like drive home and a really like exciting, exciting time. And I got to like build my own company from scratch. So I got to, you know, I got to analyze my dad when he was doing his business and try to go like, dad, you yeah. should be doing this, 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 and this. And I worked for other people. And I was always like, you guys should be doing this, this, and this. But it was finally time to put my money where my mouth was because it was a hundred percent on me. It was like, I could experience. spend, I had to, I had to put my money where my mouth was and do that. And I don't want to make like a complete derail, but I am super curious about like the, I know that a lot of people who do flips and me personally have had a bunch of issues with like contractors in general and keeping renovations on schedule. And if you were turning them in 90 days, like, is there any like one key thing? Again, I don't want to derail, yeah. but like, what it. So I've got two or three things about contractors that I think are really helpful for everyone. Mm -hmm. When somebody is like opening up and, and, and since then in life, we ended up opening like uh, Phoenix offices and Southern California offices and Texas offices. And so I've op I've restarted these satellites in a bunch of different places before. And so what I always try to remind everybody is one, the, it's going to take you 10 painters to find that right painter. And it's going to take you 10 landscapers to find the right landscaper, which means you're going to have 10 failures before you find the person that I can trust. Because in order to scale, you need people that are going to be on your budget that you don't have to do much to manage, right? That, that you can give them an address and you know, they're going to do your spec at the right price on the right day. Because at the end, you know, so when we were really off and humming, I would buy a house at auction. We would text somebody. They would rekey it that day. They would take pictures. They would schedule our trades. Uh, the painter would sometimes show up that night or the next day. And they would paint for two days, paint for a day and a half. Then we would have the team do all of the flooring and all the finishes. If we had cabinets, cabinets would get like installed on the fourth day and clean. We were on the market by Thursday was our goal. We had to be on the market by Thursday every day. There's a video on YouTube that we show as the four day flip. It's like a twenty-five dollars to $30,000 remodel. It's gutted to the studs. And we had a camera crew follow us. And in four days, we took it from gutted to the studs to on the market and sold it. Um, and so it's pretty crazy to see how that works. But the key to get there. Yeah, that's that's goals. That is amazing. But <laughs> yeah, but the key to get there is one, like you have to fire a bunch of painters to fire to find the good one. Every time we would open, I would hire somebody new, like to, that works for me to say, hey, go find a painter for this project in San Antonio. They were always like, this is going to be the one. This guy's going to be the one. And I'm like, don't get your hopes up. Let's hire them. This yeah. is how we figured out. And they're like, no, this is going to be the one that's going to do all of our stuff. And they like they fail us. And then there's you find the one that does work. You know, the landscaper. Um, that had done a few different jobs for me on like the fourth or fifth job and her first job, she had like her kids on her, on her, on her in a pack while she was like installing planters too. So she had a very small company by the time 2012 hit, they had like eight company trucks and they had a huge, so when we first hired them to do our very first flip, they were just starting their landscape company. They ended up building a giant company around us too. On the fourth or the fifth house, she sent me an invoice. Uh, they sent me a quote that said it's gonna be 5,000 bucks. And I said, okay. And I did it. They finished the job and she goes, Hey, it ended up only being 2,800 because the backyard didn't end up needing sod. I would have never known that 
I've never seen the house. I'd never been there in person. I would have never known. She could have charged me 5,000. I already approved it. I said 5,000 is approved. And she told me that instead. So instantly now Karen was going to get the rest of my jobs from here on out because I knew that she was going to like, I knew she was going to be honest with me and she did thousands of houses for me uh, later and built a, and, and built a big company and still like the most trustworthy person I'll send anybody to over there. I had a window guy do something similar where there was a sliding glass door that needed repaired. And he go, he called me and he goes, Hey, Aaron, I was actually able to get the manufacturer to cover that under warranty because the seal was broken. So they're going to ship out a new door. Also, I had one of those doors at my office. So I just installed the door from my office for you today. So you don't have to wait for it. But when the warranty one comes in, I'm keeping that one. The whole thing's free. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just want to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that. And I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox of the stuff that you know everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestatedrockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talk to so many of you guys on there. All right, back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Wow. And he didn't have to tell me any of that. I approved a thousand bucks. He could have gotten the free door and charged me a thousand dollars. So that guy got the rest of my windows for the rest of my life. Right. So the, so it takes time to find those trades. And the key is knowing like, don't be discouraged if a trade shows you who they are and they're not good. Don't try to train them just onto the next because there will be good ones. And once you have Mm -hmm. your key, like seven or eight trades, even in, in Texas now, in Colleen, if we buy a house four days later, it's on the market, period. We know we can send a, a scheduling announcement. We have our painters, our flooring, our cleaners, everything. Four days later, we're on the market. A new market that we hadn't been in. We, we did one of these flips a month ago. It took us six days to get uh, on the market. So that's the so those are the tips that I would give you. Yeah. Like Very unlikely that your first five contractors you hire are going to be the ones that you're going to use. Keep looking. Don't get discouraged. Yeah. It's going to take about 10 before you find the one that you're like, cool, this is the one I can trust for each trade. Okay. Totally. That makes sense. Love it. Um, okay. Back. We were three years after when you met the, your dad's friends. Yeah. So we're at what? 2012, 2012, ish. 2013. You've been rocking and rolling. You've been crushing it this whole time. And for everybody and then, that's been on for the last hour, thank you. Right? Like the Shelby is shining here as the interviewer and for listeners going like, fuck, Aaron's been talking for an hour. I appreciate like anyone that's still here. We really appreciate you. Um, I know you're all still here because everyone wants to hear this. 
Well, the, I think I well, I'm I'm happy and I'm and I'm grateful and I think it's it's fun that I get a chance to share this. So we've got a couple little chapters in my story left here, everybody. But I yeah. promise, like, sorry, I keep asking, Aaron. You can cut me off if you need to. No, but I this is your this is your show. So the you can cut okay. me off whenever you need to. Like you are <laughs> you are Shelby Johnson, real estate rock stars host today. You're not the co-host. You are oh, the yeah. host today. The host. You're the captain. That's right. I'm the captain. You are the is captain. That the energy? You're in charge. You're that was for. good. I, okay. I, like, I, I like that one. If I change my 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 real estate intro, I'm this to our podcast. It's gonna have one. you saying, "I'm the captain." Um, Perfect. Okay, back to 2012. 2012, 2013. Man, the problem yes. during that time in my life, the problem of making a whole bunch of money during that time, is there were some old traits of mine. Like I liked being cool and popular when I was the guy selling drugs. Right. I like being cool and popular when I'm the guy that has money. I still wasn't very good at meeting people and making friends and being able to choose between that. And I, you know, money brings in a lot of ego, brought in a lot of ego clashes between my wife and I uh, with different things because she was making money as a broker. I was making money in here. We were spending money on wasteful things. I didn't have mentors in GoBundance like I have now that could have told me, like, hey, Aaron, you should be investing some of that or you should be holding on to some of those rentals or you shouldn't be blowing it on things like that. In my mind, it was always like, we're flipping like 30 or 40 houses a month right now. Nothing is gonna touch us in this business. Nobody's gonna be able to shut me down. I don't foresee anything that's going to happen. These two guys from Blackstone, you know, big, big hedge fund, fly out, come meet with me. They say, hey, we are, we're getting into this single family game. We're gonna do these as rentals. We're gonna buy at auction and we're gonna hold them at rentals. Do you wanna come work for us? And I was like, work for you? I should have Googled who's Blackstone. Why? I should have done a quick little <laughs> <Yeah>. Google. <laughs> Why would I come work for you when I, I made a hundred thousand bucks last month in commissions alone, not even counting our flip profits? Like the, like, uh, no, like, I, wh Get out why here. would I go take a job from somebody else? And they're like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you. We'll buy your company. We'll shut it down. You can work for us as an employee, but there's going to be this big opportunity for other stuff. And I was like, no, that's yeah. not like, you're not going to be able to be successful as rentals because none of these are good rental investments anyway, as you're looking at it. I've already the biggest flipper. You're not going to be able to touch me on it. Nothing's going to be able to shut me down. They're like, Aaron, if you don't come work for us, you know, Dallas is this, he's built this giant, giant company. He's one of the most impressive men I've met in person now seeing what he's, what he did from that time as he's the CEO of that company. Uh, now invitation homes. The, he said, if you don't come work for us, we're going to put you out of business. And, and, and he's like, nothing, it's not nothing against you. It's just going to happen. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Well, long story short, Shelby, they put me out of business. They, yeah. uh, they crushed me. The, they came to market and they bought everything at the market. The crazy thing is I could have predicted what was going to happen. Like if I would have actually like taken what they had seriously, I could have made some big moves going, Hey, this is what I know is going to happen. What is some stuff that I should be doing uh, right now instead to prepare instead of like, I, like I knew something was going to happen. I didn't try to see how that could help me. I didn't try to make any moves on it. So, so they, they put me out of business. They come and they buy every house that's listed on the market uh, at foreclosure at no, at no matter what price. They buy every house that's listed on the MLS at whatever price, right? So every house on MLS, they're making cash offers full price now of the flips. Every house that's at auction, they're bidding until they get all of them. They buy 95% of the product in Northern California. If it was a super- That's insane. It, insane. <laughs> So, and I'm like, yeah. these are bad deals. Why would you do that? Yeah. And then like three months in, I'm like, you guys have hundreds and hundreds of occupied properties that you haven't even knocked on the door yet. You guys are such bad operators. Like this is not going to work. Why are you going to do this? What I didn't realize was it was a huge asset grab. And the this, what I learned from them then changed my life in 2020. But what I saw them do is a huge asset grab 
that they said, no, things are underpriced here. We don't really care about the rental or anything like that. We're going to buy everything. And by buying everything, they bought everything on the market. Within 12 months, our market in Sacramento, the sales prices had increased like 45%. So every, every house that they bought for $300,000 that was overpriced, now worth $450,000. They also showed me the value of a refinance where then they took out like a $400,000 loan on that house The that you get $100,000 tax-free on that and they're dancing again. So, uh, but they didn't do that for a house. They did that for thousands and thousands of houses. So they put everybody out, out of market. I went to zero again. I lost all my money. I remember in like December of like 2012, um, telling my wife, Hey, I need you to transfer money over to my account for payroll. And she goes, I don't have any money. It might've been 2013. Uh, I don't have any money left in my account. You transferred last of it last month for payroll. And I was like, what? So we'd started the year with over a million bucks, ended the year with zero. I had to go lay people off to go like, I can make payroll today, but this is the, today's the last day. I can't keep anybody else. I had to work out like workouts with my lease to finish that out at the office. I had some houses that I needed to finish, but I couldn't pay anyone to do it anymore. And I tell you what, Shelby, it was a really surreal experience to be like, my marriage was in shambles because the ego stuff during that time created us to, we weren't a team anymore. Uh, like some really bad things happened. Then we're out of money trying to restart some different stuff. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to pay uh, my mortgage and not lose it in foreclosure. And I remember applying to, to be an Uber driver. I remember applying to be uh, a building inspector at the city of Napa, which was an hour and a half away. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to drive Uber. I'll try to catch drives between here and Napa. I'll go be the building inspector and I'll still, there was one county left that nobody was bidding in at auction and that was Napa. And they wouldn't do it because only like one or two houses would sell a month down there. But when you did, there was big margins. So then for the next few months, I kept myself alive by being the one person that would buy at Napa County. It was like the only secret that was left was in Napa. I could go buy houses there during that time, but I couldn't do it with any employees anymore. So I didn't have any employees left. Um, I was going and doing all that and going from making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to applying to be the, an Uber driver and a building inspector was a very, very humbling time. So that- again, with the, the wild, like I, I told listeners at the beginning, wild ride, like this is such a wild ride, Arian, like every high, high, every low, like it's incredible. Yeah. You know? From the biggest flipper in town to out of business by Blackstone. That was part two of our hero's journey. And next week, we get to see how Aaron bounces back yet again. The ultimate bounce back man. So see you all next week. Later. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.